Forgotten Flicks, episode 91, FX 1986. Mason isn't here. All right, then I need his home address. I'm afraid that's classified information. Hey, I don't give a shit if it's tattooed on your ass. Where does he live? Of all the insults. I'm not playing around here, she all right? He doesn't know. The colonel's home address is strictly confidential. You should know that, Lieutenant. All right, all right. a recognizable face. Now, look, as one cop to another, where does your boss live? That is strictly on a need to know basis. Believe me, darling, I need to know. I would hate to see a nice lady like yourself be made accessory to four murders. Are you trying to threaten me, Lieutenant, or charm me? Whatever. Don't you consult with your associates. I believe Lieutenant Murdoch has that information. He may even have it tattooed on his ass. You're a sweetheart. Hello and welcome to the 91st episode of the Forgotten Flicks podcast. I am Joel, joined, as always, by the decadent, the tumultuous, the sassy, Jason. So this episode we're talking about I Dismember Mama, right? Because I really just want to talk about I Dismember Mama. Which, of course, you realize was a real movie, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was odd that, that every other movie they talked about wasn't real, yet that well, one. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> so I am, as I said, uh, Joel, I'm pretty sure. And this is Jason. And if you're new to the Forgotten Flicks podcast, in a nutshell, we take an hour to get to a very simplistic point, and we take a thousand one rabbit trails to get there. And generally, we spend about 5% of the time talking about the movie we're supposed to talk about. And uh, does that about cover it? <laughs> and we have movie and picks at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And we're generally focused on 80s movies with a little wiggle room. Yeah. We talk about the movies you grew up with. Unless, of course, you're, you know, 19, not 20, not <laughs> us, uh, or 50, 60, maybe then you'd be like, oh, wow. Well. Because well, by you, well, that, we well, that, well fifty, sixty—that would cover you, Jay. So yeah. never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean me? So well, this okay. th- this episode is rolling out. <laughs> I believe today, as people are hearing this, it's what it was July third. Is that this episode? Yep. Yep. Oh, right. right before the fourth. Right. Uh, this is our summer special, the beginning yes. of summer. Yes, yep. it is. So happy uh, Independence Day for everybody in Canada, and <laughs> that's that's today, right? No. Anyway, so. <laughs> Yes, I would like to point out that as we're recording this way back in time, actually, our, our podcast is a bit uh, like a time travel thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we found out approximately, would you say, 12 minutes ago? Uh, yep. yep. Yeah. Would you like to announce the sad news? Because it actually sucks. Uh, yeah, well, as we were prepping for the podcast, which by the time this comes out, I'm sure you all have heard, yeah, um, James Gandolfini passed away uh, of uh, Sopranos and other fame. Um, died of a heart attack in uh, uh, in Italy. So both Joel and I are huge fans of his and of the things he's done. And uh, it kind of struck us. So we wanted to just, just say, that, you know, uh, our hearts are out with their family, with his family. And 
Uh, that's a tough loss. <clears throat> yeah. I think he was a good actor. Don't, don't. I loved, I loved the stuff he did. So, and, and, and just the idea that he was only fifty-one. Jason and I were discussing that before the podcast yeah. cranked up. That that really isn't that much older than us. And yeah, it's it's that not sucks. that far away. It's sobering. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> and the first thing I remember ever seeing him in was True Romance in nineteen ninety-three. He played a hitman who beats the ever-loving snot out <laughs> of uh, Patricia Arquette, who plays oh, Alabama. Yeah. And it, which I, I always love that movie. It's probably my favorite Tarantino movie that he didn't direct. Yeah, nah. that'd be the best way to put it. So, yeah, it is a loss for sure. For sure. No jokes. Just sadness. Nope. So I to say, and we didn't want to start off with a on a, on a terrible note, but uh, well, we did. We, <laughs> we, we talked. We started by talking and that was the terrible note. And that then we went into note. the bad news. Yeah. Yeah, we're sorry you need therapy now, but uh, tough shit. So. Yeah, that's the way we roll around here. And uh, before we get really moving, a couple of quick uh, little notes I'd like to point out. With, starting with the over-the-top episode, which actually just released today as we're recording this, which is June 19th. Mm-hmm. We are doing something with Mr. Kevin Spencer. He is actually going to be selling off his original artwork. Now, I don't know how long we're going to do this. I don't know if at one point it'll go to maybe limited edition prints of said artwork, but he is actually doing the artwork differently this time. He's doing it by hand, mm-hmm. which sounds a little dirty, but you know, it is Kevin. So <laughs> he, he is doing it by hand. And yeah, so these are, these are hand penned, hand colored, real works of movie art. Um, it blows me the freak away, and I, I got to tell you, it may or may not influence the movies that I pick for <laughs> our show going forward, because I may want to purchase said artwork. So, suddenly, Kevin's like, yeah, that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. um, so it's a fantastic thing that he's offered to do, and the artwork is, uh, um, the original artwork is up for sale, so by all means, go to the, the website for the podcast and in the show notes yep. is a link to the store that he set up to sell these. Um, and you know, we've seen a lot, if you haven't followed his work, he's done a lot of other fantastic art, um, in the, uh, superhero, supervillain, yeah. horror, uh, movie genre. He's, he's incredibly talented. He blows us away all the time with the stuff he's, he's created for us. And so we just want to give a special shout out to that, um, going forward. And, uh, be on the lookout for some extra, extra kick-ass stuff for Spooky Flicks Fest this year. So we are we are prepping early. Yes, believe it or not, it's June and we're already in talks about what oh, we want to do. We hear that we if you prepare for things, they don't suck as much. We don't know that firsthand because we've never done that. We've never tried it. We we've never tried tell. it. We yeah we yeah uh, we, yeah we do hear from time to time <laughs> that things can suck. Well, let's say they suck less potentially. Nah. Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> but we are so, well i'm very excited about the art thing keep in mind if you do say we're doing we're covering a movie you absolutely love and you want to have this you know one of a kind piece of art with our and i and i'm actually to be honest with you i don't think our mugs will be on it i think it's just the no it's just the straight up the artwork movie. yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah so the part where you know goofy cartoon joel and jason above him are not going to be there but the actual art itself and i believe it has the title on it of the movie and the episode number and all that. Uh, There's only one, like I said, so if you want it, you will need to move quickly. And as an extra incentive, we have, he, he offered up a 40% discount code that 
is listed underneath the uh, show art itself. So you just take that code at checkout, boom, do it. And it really ends up being not very much money. And you've got this really, really cool piece of art and history, you know, because this is the Forgotten Flicks podcast. We're etching it in stone, folks. You you're here for history. Uh, You're welcome. And and if you want to check out his other stuff, go to inkspatters.com because that's true. Homeboy gives me a creative chubby, is all I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, one other thing, Jay, I want to make a quick announcement. You, you remember our buddies from Midnight Syndicate? Oh, yeah, uh, the guys yes. that gave us their uh, music to use mm-hmm, for last year's mm-hmm, Spooky Flicks yes. Fest. Uh, specifically, uh, Ed Edward Douglas, who is his one, one of the members of said syndicate. And he <clears> was <throat> very generous to allow us to use some of their music, as you said, and they sent out a press release because they have a new album coming out called Monsters of Legend. It will be unleashed July 19th. All right. This is their 16th studio album. And what is particularly cool about it is it is a tribute to the golden age of horror. It will feature sweeping symphonic horror instrumental music and sound effects in the signature style uh, the band pioneered. And I quote, we want to make you feel like you are a character in one of those classic horror films that you've entered a world where any one of the iconic characters from the universal horror and hammer films could be right around the corner. And that was uh, <laughs> the composer, Edward Douglas. And they are the CD artwork. Yeah. Cause I noticed that on the cover, it features original images from classic universal studios, horror movies, including Frankenstein, Werewolf of London and Dracula. And so there's apparently a very, big influence of these classic horror films on this album and it sounds like it'd be very cool uh on another nice. and, and actually what's super cool is the cd will be available pre-order the first week in july but they're going to have a limited edition 250 hand numbered copies 12 inch vinyl version oh nice which i'm thinking would be awesome to have just also be not just the music but the cover to yeah, have that in yeah. a in a on an album would be awesome but for jason specifically as i was reading through their their recent bio and works that they've been working on something caught my eye. And I thought Jason would like to know this midnight (laughs) syndicate continues to pursue its quest to use instrumental music to tell explicit stories full of tension, twists and turns. Most recently, the band completed the score to the grindhouse thriller. Wait for it. Wait for it. (laughs) Ax giant, the wrath of Paul Bunyan. Yes. In summer 2013, Midnight Syndicate will release the soundtrack to that film along with Monsters of Legend, a tribute to the classic Universal Hammer and Euro uh, horror films that helped shape horror cinema. See, that's an that is a movie I would buy the soundtrack for. And the I story well, no matter how the movie turns out, you know the music will be good, right? So, yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, just, I thought it was funny cuz Jason told me about that the other day. And I said, "Yes, cuz Paul Punyon, that's terrifying." And he was very excited, of course. <laughs> Watch but the trailer. It, as soon as I, I will, I will watch the trailer. And it's, <laughs> and I did, I tell you, I did, this is a more off script. We're going to now jump parallel. Rabbit trail. Yeah. Yeah. Rabbit trail. This is our show guys. So welcome. <laughs> we will get to the movie. I promise. Uh, we, uh-huh. A few uh, episodes back on off script. You mentioned, was it almost human? Yes. Not oh the, yes. Not, uh, the, not the, uh, the trailer with the uh, movie. Yeah. Not the, not the show with Carl Urban that's coming out that has an alienation right. vibe to it, but the movie. Yep. Yeah. That was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty nasty. It wasn't as gross as I thought it would be based on your buildup. Yeah. I thought it would it was be red worse. Band. It was, yeah, it was a red band trailer for sure. Not yeah. safe for work, but it was, it Definitely was, have to, we'll have to go into that more detail on, on our other show. That would be script. off script with Jason and Joel, which <laughs> Hammond, if you're listening, I have yeah. I have your 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 surprise. We'll leave it at that. 
on the on the sound cart. So thank so you anyway, in advance. Uh, for for those of you interested, you can head to midnightsyndicate.com. Uh, they've got a cool blog with all kinds of stuff about their music, their uh, videos, and all that stuff. So, yes, sir, care. Bobby. Yes, sir. So, Jason, would you? Uh, I don't know. Would you be interested in maybe talking about FX and uh, listening to the trailer, which I'll warn you now is well over two minutes long and drags a bit. And I may have to edit down for the purposes of people having to listen to the show. <laughs> okay, but can I hear the whole thing? Well, you're going to have no choice. Ah, damn it! Raleigh Tyler is an FX man. The movie's master of make-believe. He can show you a thousand ways to die. Hey, God! God! Great special effects. But now somebody wants Raleigh Tyler to do it for real. We want to stage a fake assassination, Raleigh, and we want you to supervise it. Who's the we? Justice Department. I'm a special effects man. I deal in make-believe. I'd like to keep it like that. We just thought that we might be able to utilize your particular genius to help us out. And what if someone takes a shot at me? You are 100% protected. I give you my word. That job that guy wanted me to do? I think I'll do it. But someone else is writing the script and casting him as the killer. I haven't done anything. What if we put in real bullets? If one person, one person suspects. Sorry, Raleigh, no loose ends. Listen's up to something. He tried to kill me. You go directly to the newspapers. What makes you think they believe me? I believe you. My name's Leo. We need to talk. Where the hell are you, Tyler? He's going to need every trick from every movie he's ever made. Remember my particular genius. Just to get even. And get out alive. I'm in pursuit of a blue step van. Letters on the side. X as in Frank. X as in X-ray. Remember Skidball Express? I sure do! Wow! But Raleigh Tyler's most special effects are yet to come. Forget why you hired me. What next? At the next corner, send Nelly in. Oh my God, what? Is he the weapon or the victim? Is it murder or is it... FX. With a name like Smuckers... It has to be good. <laughs> I could not watch him without hearing that damn commercial. <laughs> the whole freaking movie. The whole movie. He's with, like my with grandpa. A, with, a so. na- with a name like Smuckers, I'm <laughs> going to pop a cap in his ass. <laughs> I Seriously, that distracted me so bad. So we're talking about Mason Adams, who plays one of the... One of the uh, uh, well, we'll get into it. Anyway, he's like a cop, bad guy-ish. And so <laughs> he, he's he got that voice, that that perfect, with a name like Schmuckers. Well, it's the Schmuckers well, commercials. Well, yeah, well, he sounds like, like your Schmuckers. grandpa at the table. Actually, you know what? Hold, says, on. hold on. Hold on. Wait. Hold on. From Go na- ahead. From 1989. Ready? Yeah, hit it. It's still loading. One moment, please. Or not. 
If you could taste time, the sun, fresh air. If you could taste pride, dedication. This is what it would taste like. Fake blood. Low sugar spreads. Half the sugar, only eight calories per teaspoon. All the tradition. <laughs> he didn't say it. What a jip! At the very end, they have the, the with a name like Smirkers. It has to be good, but he didn't say it. Keep, keep talking. I'm going to find one where he says it. Damn it! <laughs> Wait, hold on. This one's short. This is uh 15 seconds. And nobody ever asked me what I want to be when I grow up. Maybe it's your name, Richard Smucker. When your name is Smucker, everyone knows you'll grow up to make the world's best jam. With a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. I don't think that was him saying it, but you get the point. Yeah, exactly. So it was weird hearing him trying to be a bad guy and curse and anger and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it was that was a little weird. So anyway, are you ready for the best part of the show? What's the best part of the show, Jay? Remind me. <laughs> My synopsis. I, I, I was gonna say. Um, well, before you do that, it's as important, Jay. The following segment of Forgotten Flicks will contain information so pertinent to the film that if you have not yet seen it may ruin your viewing experience. So if you plan to see this film, please consider resuming the episode only after you've viewed the film, which you can find at Netflix. Streaming! For a limited time. We now return you to Forgotten Flicks, already in progress. Uh, yeah. Seriously, actually, after June 30th, they're pulling it. We have yeah. this effect on Netflix. Is. I think the CEO follows us, but so uh, I was going to comment. Actually, if you're if you haven't seen this on film, you're not ever going to see this on film. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So tonight we're talking about F forward slash X. Oh, is that the proper pronunciation? Uh, F. Yes, that is all right. <laughs> Just checking. Okay. <laughs> um, because if you just look up FX with no slash, there are a couple of other things that come up and it can be all kinds of confusing. This is F slash X. Indeed. So, yeah. So this is basically the story of Roland Tyler, who is a special effects guy. We catch up with him at the very beginning of the movie. He's he's uh, running a scene, you know, an old mobster scene in a restaurant, which is foretelling of what's to come. But uh, there's there's blood and there's bullet shots into aquariums and things blow up and all this stuff happens in the restaurant and you are led to believe in the beginning of the movie that it's real that something's happening but then you hear the director cut 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 and they can, come can, in and can, it's all can, can can I just say one thing about that what and I'll give them the benefit that it was nineteen well they shot this in eighty five okay yep. and behind the scenes documentaries were not nearly as common as they are today but no. watching that it gives one the distinct impression that an elaborate action effect sequence like that would all be shot at once in sequence edited together well, because it's, it, we're I, watching it play in real time yet it's put together yeah no perfectly I, I, of course, because in this, in the, because they couldn't pull it. The idea was to make you think that it was real. I know, I, you know, I, I get the idea. So I'm, I'm arguing it's a I flawed idea because of, no, it is, yeah. and I recognize it too. Because 
not only was it all shot in one sequence, but they would show close-ups of the gun raising up. Yeah. And moving up. Well, that's, you know, would be shot with another camera and another oh, shot. And you, well, shot. No, even just, yeah, I mean, you could make the argument, well, they had multiple cameras and yeah, you, no, long you can see that in and, there and there are no multiple cameras. So. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just think it, it, it's it was probably, kind of, it ahead. was kind of a pantomime of a movie being filmed. Well, I mean, it's it, not it, really a knock on FX because that was something, if you look back at a lot of movies, especially in that time period, seventies, eighties, yeah. whenever they show a behind the scenes moment, that's what you get. You get like an entire scene plays out yeah, already done, but yeah. it would actually be one shot and they do 18 takes of it. Because right. to be fair, if they let it play out the way it really went, it would be so friggin' boring. It would yeah, blow yeah. your mind. But exactly. I just—it was just a weird thing. I, I'm watching, going, "Huh? I never, uh, you never it. realized yeah, that." Yeah. 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 Hmm. So, so anyway, uh, as the as the scene ends, and all of the director and and uh, 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 grips and and all those folks come off the the back set uh, onto the stage onto the set, you see Roland Tyler played by Brian Brown. Um, who is the special effects master for the, the movie. And uh, so we're kind of introduced to him that he's the one that does all like... Is it Roland or Roly? Well, his name is Roland, but it like goes by the nickname Roly. Got like, it. Like that's the call. Uh, so they switch back and forth depending on who's talking to him. So anyway, they set up kind of this idea that he's the special effects master. Well, he's approached by a guy who pretends to be a producer and says, Hey, I've got this big budget thing. I want you to do. I'm really excited about it. Come see me. Well, you know, so, you do realize the unusual part of that. Generally the guys pretending to be producers are approaching the actresses and telling them they've got a big part for them. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they've got they, a big they, part that they want to show them. Yes, I've got this big part. You've got to come to my apartment to see. Yes, um, I mean and, to to, uh, to audition for. Right, right, right. I want you to read for it. Yes. So, um, but so they approach him, and uh, eventually he he uh, agrees to meet with the guy and talk to him. Well, it turns out the producer's not a producer, but he works for uh, Department of Justice, and they have a mobster in protective custody who's going to testify against the rest of the mobsters. And they need to fake his death so that the mobsters won't actually kill him and then get him to testify. And the mobster, DeFranco... Whoa, 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 hold on, wait. I'd like to point out a mobster who knows you never put baby in the corner. Yes, because it's played by uh, a, a longtime favorite of mine, Jerry Orbach, who played the dad in um, uh, 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 Dirty Dancing. Yep. And he's also in Law and Order yep. for a long time and a bunch of other stuff. So... Um, the agent that approaches him is played by Cliff D. Young, mm -hmm. and uh, he's a very recognizable face. He, he was, was in, in he at was least dad. he's been in two movies we've covered. Do you know what two movies those were, Jason? Oh no, because the two that I had notes for him on were Flight of the Navigator, which we haven't uh -huh. covered. Mm -hmm. um, and he was in Glory, which is one of my favorites. He played the kind of the asshole colonel who set the torches to this town and I will not set torches to this town. You yeah, you're you're the only one who knows what you're talking about. No, no, these are, these are important <laughs> films that I'm, I'm speaking of. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't remember. Don't I mean, remember. I'm sure we've covered it. No, oh, oh, wait, these are important. Oh, wait, wasn't he in, um, oh, wait, did we, well, oh, wait, did we, did we talk about Dr. Giggles? We did do Dr. Giggles. I don't remember if we did or not. <laughs> are you serious? You don't even remember if we did it? 
How can no. you forget Doctor? Oh yes, because I remember the artwork that Kevin did with yeah, the yeah. This is the only thing that's dirt, dirt that, mask. Yeah, that was really the only thing we had going for that episode. I don't remember talking about it, but yes, <laughs> okay. and I don't remember the other one. What was the other secret? One? I do believe they just showed Kelly Preston's boobs. Admirer. Ah, uh, yes. yes, he was the dad. He was C. Thomas Howell's father. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, D. Wallace Stone, I think, is what she was at the time. Nah. It was his, his wife, his husband, her husband. Good Lord, I can speak. So yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. He's so got anyway, a lot he of plays, stuff, a lot of TV. He plays too. the agent. Um, Colonel Mason, which is his boss. With a name like Smuckers, it's yep. got to be good. So they, turns out, are not so much good guys in the Department of Justice. They do work for the Department of Justice, but they're, they are dirty, um, guys and so they it's really just a setup because when um roly goes to actually fake the murder in a restaurant it goes all bad he thinks he actually killed defranco because one of the agents uh, well because uh, lipton the agent was playing with his gun and he thinks he actually put in real bullets and at the end as soon as he did the fake out Lipton tried to kill him. So yeah. he's on the run. He's got his assistant Andy with him from her special his special effects shop. And they're on the run trying to solve this case, figure out what's going on. An in assistant, the meantime, well, hold on. And, and an assistant, I might add, that works for a guy that is willing to have her wait up for him at two o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, to the point where she right. falls asleep and then he ties her legs together so that when she wakes up, presumably she'll just fall on her face. She'll trip. Yep. Uh, a whole exactly. move, buddy, a whole move <laughs> so, right there. So in the meantime, while we have these two dirty government of government cops, which of course, um, by the way, just so we know this, you can tell this is fiction. The idea of people that would be dirty and corrupt working in the government <laughs> that never happens. It's a stretch. It's it hard was, for me to it accept. Really was. I, it was. That was probably the biggest suspension of disbelief in the entire uh, exactly. film. Yeah. So, um, in the meantime, at the same time, as all this stuff is unfolding and all, you know, shenanigans ensue. So there's crashes and people dying mm. as this stuff's happening. Brian Dennehy uh, plays Shows up a, at the 45 minute mark. Uh, is he really 45 minutes I in? I checked. Yep. Okay. He plays a New York City detective who apparently in the, is the one that brought DeFranco in in the first place, who then flipped, became... Uh, uh, decided to testify, so he kind of got off the hook. But he is the... Uh, what was the name of Clint Eastwood's character in... Dirty it Harry? Was, no, no, no. His last name. It was like... Um, Callahan? Callahan, yep. Yeah. He plays the Callahan character. I play by my own rules. I'm I was, yeah, was going to say he was more of like, like Stacy Keach in... Uh, didn't he do the Mike Hammer? Like, it's like that grizzled old yeah. detective type. Yeah. Yes, pretty much. He's kind of the old, ready yeah. to retire. Screw you, you yeah. know that kind of thing. He starts investigating these this other stuff going on and starts making the connections between all of this cover up weirdness that's going on. It's yes. a story within a story within a story. So he starts investigating, and in the meantime, Rolly's trying to solve all this. So I'll leave it at that, and then we'll talk about the rest. Is that? I think except- that was a very very good and succinct synopsis despite my <laughs> attempts to uh, derail you and interrupt you <laughs> you tried i tried um, i do want to throw in a couple of things real quick okay um uh tom noonan plays one of the thugs i caught that yes mr um, mr frankie 
technically yeah. Frankenstein's monster, but we'll let, we'll give him a pass on Monster Squad, and of course he's done a butt ton of other things. Yeah, yeah. Um, who's a favorite of ours on the show, definitely. And then um, um, Roscoe Orman. Why do I know who, that name? Um, he played the captain, uh, the guy that oh, ends up okay. suspending uh, uh, Brian Dennehy's character. Yes. Freaking Gordon from Sesame Street. Was that who that was? Yes. I so thought I recognized him. Holy crap. You're right. It was Gordon from Sesame did Street. You drop an and F-bomb? I saw that and I'm thinking, all right, wait a wait, second. Wait, did he drop an F-bomb? He definitely used. Oh, a- yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. So you've got, hold on. You've got Gordon from Sesame Street being the foul mouth. Oh you mentioned if like Maria, Maria from Sesame Street showed up. And then you've got the smokers guy who turns yeah. out to be a we're, dirty we're, yeah, agent who yeah, curses and killer. shoots people. Yes. Well, the name like smuckers. <laughs> so I'm like, what is this? So, oh, wait, there's Mr. Uh, Rogers. But that's okay because everyone knows that he, he was actually a Marine sniper who had 25 confirmed kills. No, he was he was a pimp in this movie. So No, but have you heard that urban legend? Yeah, I have. That's and it, it is not true, by that, the way. That, the so. reason why he had to went out, no, it is true. The reason why he wore a sweater was to cover up all the tats he got in the Marine. He came and say with a straight face. <laughs> and when he came back, he was so disturbed by all the killing that he had caused, all the pain, all the devastation, all the destruction, that he became a peace activist, a pacifist, as mm-hmm. it were, and a Methodist preacher who wanted to teach children about love and community and occasionally yeah. how... Yeah. To smoke a diplomat from 850 <laughs> yards out in a stiff wind. <laughs> it's true. I read it on the internet. I, it had to be true. It was on the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea of Mr. Rogers as, as this sniper. Twenty. My favorite part, 25 confirmed kills. <laughs> confirmed kills, because we don't know how many he might have killed that we don't keep track of. Well, generally speaking, there was one confirmed, but we're pretty sure there was about four guys behind that one confirmed that the bullet <laughs> penetrated. <laughs> now, did you catch there was one big-time cameo? One well, big-time cameo. One. One. Uh, one of the TV reporters. I did. I, I caught the cameo. Ready? It was the poster for Zombie. The Lucio Fulci film, yes, also known uh, yes, uh, 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 also known as uh, Dawn of the Dead Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, no, it was it was Zombie Two because they were trying to make it as if it was a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. I think that's how it Dawn was. Dawn of the yes, Dead, yes. yeah. And, and and the poster for Fade to Black, a very obscure horror film that our buddy Peter has actually reviewed for the website. Is that the cameos you speak of? Uh, no, but oh. those are actually pretty good ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Oh, and, the, and, oh, and they had a, oh, I know what it was. They had a picture of the baby from It's Alive. They claimed it was from another non-existent horror film, but it was from the Larry Cohen. It's, it's Alive. Alive. Yes, with Michael Was Moriarty. it also the baby faces that were there, or just that one No, it's that one, that one picture, that, you know, the baby with the fangs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I was talking about the fact that, uh, James Pickens Jr., who played, like, the chief surgeon on, um... Uh, 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 Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, that means nothing to me. I've never watched that show. Oh, and he, he was uh, he was the Amos driver and Angela Bassett. I read that she was in it, and she's from my hometown, St. Pete. Whoop whoop. <laughs> Anybody? Hello? Is this? Hold on. Nope. Nope. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it really means we have no connection whatsoever, but it makes me feel good to think so. 
Yeah, whatever. Anyway. And then, of course, where, as we mentioned, she, in the who beginning, was she in the movie? I didn't see her. I it's it's, it's listeners TV reporter. Oh, so when they're all surrounding somebody. Yes. Yeah. Okay. She's in there. It's probably just her face. But anyway, you know, the other one, the most important one, of course, as we already mentioned, is I dismember mama. They mentioned it when they're going through his, his the Rollie's loft. And he's got all his effects. Yeah. Now, do you think out. that was the actually because I fully expect you to have seen this movie. I actually have never seen I dismember mama. I know really? of it. Yeah. No, I know of it. I know of it. I did. I did not see Mama get dismembered. <laughs> and actually, yeah. uh, while while you're yakking, because I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to, uh, where you will be yakking, I'm going to look <laughs> it up because it actually goes by. It went by a different title originally, and the other title is horrible. I actually like the poor title. Albert I, and Little Annie. That was it. Yeah, it's like yeah. poor Albert and Little Annie. Is that what it's called? Does he? Yes, what, what I, I actually made notes about the movie because I I actually want to put it on my list just because I heard it mentioned so many times, but. Well, plus with a uh, title like that, for the love of God. I know. <laughs> so it's a 70s flick. Uh, um, I have it as 72 by IMDb. But um, yeah, the dummy that they had in there was was pretty nasty. So um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. So anyway, lots of cameo, little cameos, especially for movie and horror and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, I got some notes. And I'm going to start with the first one. So if you watch this on Netflix in the next, well, I guess by the time this comes out, you may not be able to watch it because it may have come out. But if you have seen this movie, you may not have recognized that in the very, very beginning uh, of of the film, they talk about the producers, right? Mm-hmm. So did you catch who one of the major producers was? I did, but I will give you the opportunity to say it. Okay, so the first thing I thought is the first credit that comes up uh, says Dodie Fayette. And I'm like, wait, do you want to, do you want to give people just a hint of context in case they don't remember? Yeah, I know. For those of you kids who are listening, um, no, it was, uh, it, he was the boyfriend of princess Diana of Diana. Princess yeah. He was of the Wales. son of a billionaire who owned uh, Harrods right. department stores, right? Is Harrods a department um, or are they something else? What are they? Some kind of store. Yeah, I don't I didn't make <laughs> with all my, co- with all my sophistication, sophistication and culture. <laughs> I thought Harrods was a casino. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, but he's the guy who was a girlfriend of Diana and uh, died he, in the car. Yeah, he, was the girl, he was the girlfriend of Diana? Boyfriend. of His girlfriend was oh, Diana. Uh, That's what I meant to say. Uh, anyway, he died, and I'm sure... He was with her, yes, when when the car crashed. And, and they, they died together when the, the paparazzi were allegedly. chasing them. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly died? <laughs> I no, think he's dead. No, that allegedly that the paparazzi caused. I pretty much think it was him. So I'm sure our lone. You think, wait, uh, no, you think it was him? You think he did it? I think he's still alive. Well, I think he lives somewhere in the south of France, uh, and he was just sick of her and said, eh. theory, my friend. <laughs> I'll bring your tinfoil hat to work tomorrow. So anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, he was a producer. Just the name stuck out. I don't even know if it's really him. No, it is. I looked it up. Pretty- it is, in fact, is him. It, it was. Yes. He, okay. was, he was a part-time movie producer, as well as being the son of a billionaire. Excellent. So and, good on and you. And the boyfriend Nobody of Princess Di. Thank you for funding this movie. Yes. But, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and then, of course, the other big note, just in general, I had was uh, um, I like some of, of the director Robert Mandel's other stuff. Um, most specifically, I love School Ties. I think that was a really good film with Brandon, Brendan Fraser. Well, that's one of those movies that had a lot of 
actors who went on to become huge stars, right? Because Brenda Fraser yes. was it Matt Damon in that and Ben Affleck? Matt Damon was in it. Yep. And Ben Affleck, weren't they both? Ben in Affleck. It? Yep. yep. And um, uh, Jeremy Chris P- O'Donnell was in it. Jeremy Piven wasn't in that, was he? I don't remember. I don't him. think so. No, I think I'm brain farting. I think out. the only four I remember were Brendan Fraser, Matt Damon, Chris O'Donnell, which is still, yeah. I mean, that's a, hmm. it's one of those movies that for me fell into the radar, but was when you watch it, it's, it was really powerful. I thought it was good. Anyway, I'm surprised. So, I'm surprised there's one credit in this film you have not brought up. Really? I don't know what I'm missing. Well, based on you as, I'm looking through my notes and I don't know what based on your, love of movie music uh, did you catch who did the music i did not see who did the music for this i did hear the huey lewis song <laughs> i know the, the heart, heart of rock, of rock and roll, roll is to beaten <laughs> you know that's so weird about that song rabbit trail what's so weird about that song is i thought it came out in 83 i was doing my research they said it was 83 I always thought, for some reason, my memory of that song, whenever I hear it, is that it's later than that. Really? That, you know, like you hear a song, and there's something, you, you, uh, I think of 83 as being long enough ago, and when I, there's certain pop culture things, like, you know, for instance, the one woman who helps Brian Dennehy's character out with those massive glasses, like, that's what <laughs> I think of as, like, early, mid-80s, that yeah. kind of thing. But yep. that's one of those songs that, for me... I guess much like the rest of the, of Huey and his news, it's timeless. <laughs> yeah. No, it so was Bill, Bill Conti. Who did the music for Rocky. Yeah. No, I didn't even look that up. I did listen to... <laughs> You're going to hurt yourself. I love that music. God, that's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, he did a lot of TV stuff too, and yep. um, he he did really good. But no, uh, I do remember Justin Illusion. Oh, was that my cue? <laughs> I said I had, I was in IMDb. I was. Oh. I do remember <clears throat> Justin Illusion. Do you? And here, Jason and I were walking into the bar, <laughs> two two single guys waiting to ready to pick up some ladies. Yeah. Boy, Stroke Jay. our feathered hair. Yeah, that's right. And- hold on, hold on. Hey, Jay, aren't you glad that I got these new leather pants? <laughs> yeah. Huh. This is God. Where are all the chicks? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. He's not with me. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're dancing. Check that money maker. <laughs> yeah, I can't take that anymore. Okay. No, okay. Fade out. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that was the song that the movie ended with. So that was a major spoiler. Yeah, I don't want to give anything away. So uh, the other big note I had about this, first of all. So at any point uh, we're going to talk about what we thought. <laughs> yes, I, I want to get to that because we're running out of time quickly. So uh, first of all, I felt I watched this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. I have not seen this movie in mm, tw- uh, 20 years. So you were 28 when it came 15? out. 15 you're, you're years, 20, maybe you were 20. Oh, so you were, you were 34 when it came, when it came? Uh, kiss my hand. No, <laughs> it's been a long time, but I've seen it a couple of times uh-huh. and it was one of those ran quite a bit. And I remember actually getting it at blockbuster with my uncle. Cause he was really into movies at the time. And this was kind of a movie about movie people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, that makes and I remember sense. enjoying it. I watched it this time. Uh-huh. 
And I remember thinking, was this movie from the mid seventies? <laughs> what did it remind you of Assault on Precinct Thirteen? Is that what messed you up? Did you? Yeah. Well, that yes. No, it 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 did in a way. Everything in it. And we talked about movies. There are definitely classic 80s movies that specifically capture and very intentionally capture the the, the, the dress of time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all very stylized around that time period. This movie, I mean, I don't know if it was New York City or whatever, but all of the cars, all of the clothes, everything felt like it was the 70s. It did not feel... No, I, I would I would disagree only in that if you like, I have some yearbooks still from when I was in elementary school, like from 85 and people friggin' dress like that, dude. And, and if you go back and watch maybe a cop show from that era, there's a lot of big ass sedan, like the similar car. It, it, that's, that's pretty, they shot, they shot it the summer of 85. So okay, early, but in the eighties, yeah. there were compact cars. Yeah. Yeah. There were, but they were, they were really ugly 70s okay, looking I, I, I think what it is is there is a definitive difference between like 1980 to say 85-ish as far as the culture and the way things still had a 70s vibe in some way and then once you get into the later 80s that's I think what when people talk about 80s bit you know there was big hair and stuff in the early 80s but the neon the poofy shirts the the stonewashings I think mid to late 80s is when that starts to you know really be at a threshold but especially with adults I could totally see a lot of that stuff but I don't know I think it's a a perception thing yeah I mean it could be and I and I definitely think that there obviously there's always going to be crossover dress code and that kind of thing but it just felt very much like there was no 80s contemporary feel to it it was there were it was all like big crown victoria cars everything every car in the movie i'm talking in the background everything are these big giant boats and the cop cars are that way and the cop cars were that way huh the cop cars were that way i know the cop cars but everything was i mean that was like really there's no i had a honda my my dad had a honda in 80 yeah you know there was none of that so it didn't feel it felt very I don't know. It felt a little older than I remembered it being. So anyway, that was the only thing. And so wait, I it, felt, it, again. it felt a little older or you felt a little older watching <laughs> it. No, I feel old when I watch something that I like a uh, night train to Catman do when I had a crush on Mia Jovovich. When she and was now you 14. feel like you, you might have to be put yeah. in some kind of registry for. <laughs> yes, right. It's kind of like, no, I was 14 too. I was 14 too. <laughs> I'm still 14. I'm still yeah. 14. <laughs> Inside. This, the other thing I noted, the other thing I had down was, um, I think Brian Brown did a good job in the movie. I think it was cool. I think the mm. special effects stuff were neat. The idea that they used it kind of to their advantage. And he was this guy that was wronged and he used special effects to get back at the bad guys and actually win. And I love the sequence at the very end, the finale when they're in the mansion mm-hmm. and he's doing all those little tricks so like the mirror that's really a cloth and makes it look like he can see him yeah. to trick him. And- yeah, because you know it was it wasn't remotely remotely convenient that he knew the other guy would pop his head out of the and yeah. be on the other side when the other guy shot. I mean that was timing wise. I mean was the beauty perfect. of the, being an effects master is you're also a prognosticator. You know everything that's going to happen. You really do. That's why that's, that's part of being like an effects. That. I mean it's magic. He knows everything. Movie magic. Yep. Yep. So. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I like that sequence. I like what they did with it. Um, I like the ideas of the the special effects. 
but the movie had a, a few too many layers. Like it, <laughs> the movie, <laughs> how can I put this? Was a little too smart for me or its own good. In fact, I, I prefer a film that's um. How can I put it? Devoid of any intellectual, really, really anything that 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 requires me to think in any way, shape, or form. But I like Jay. the bang bang. I like the da da. Don't like it so much. <laughs> well, and occasionally I like the boob boob. <laughs> right. But uh, nothing else oh, beyond that. Oh, it's this too. <laughs> uh, no, no. I thought that it just it 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 got a little. It tried to get a little too complicated. I mean, it was a mystery within a mystery within a mystery. Because uh, in if you really looked at it, okay, so the idea was... Wait, 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 at some point, may I pipe in with how I felt? Uh, no, <laughs> shut up. So the idea was he was supposed to fake a murder. Uh-huh. They were trying to make him think that the fake murder was real, but it was uh-huh. really still fake. So that but in the end... In, but it was only fake to the guy who thought it was fake. But to everyone else, they thought it was real. <laughs> so why the... Okay, so at the end, yeah. I'm going to blow this. I'm going to blow it. Blow it. At the end, turns out, Frank DeFranco, the, the mobster guy, did not get killed. He has fifteen million dollars in a. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he has fifteen million dollars in account in a in a uh, safe deposit box uh-huh. in Geneva, and the whole thing was so that he could just escape the country and get out. Yeah. Why in the hell didn't he just pay somebody to help him escape to Geneva? He did. The two guys in the Justice Department. Yeah, but fake- why go through all the because other crap of pretending to fi- he's dead to pretend he's he, dead to think? And because then they-, they need. They really, truly were. They, I, okay. I can't believe I'm about to defend this. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is not the angle I thought I was going to come at tonight. Uh, no, I, I will say, I think the logic, and again, air quotes. <laughs> right. The, the logic is, if they could frame Brian Brown's character, Roly Poly, for the murder of this guy, then it would really, truly appear for him that he was dead. But if there was any loose ends let's say, that like this roly-poly guy knew that, in fact, it was fake, the mob would get to him eventually. So they truly needed nobody to know. Now, you could get into the, the semantics and the, the details of, well, well, then technically the Justice Department guys know as well, blah, 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 but yeah. he needs somebody on his side. So presumably he's going to pay, he's paying the Justice Department guys to help him get out of the country and fake his own death. I think the, the thing that I... I, I will now interject the things that I liked about the movie. I mean, you know, I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. I know you love Hitchcock as well. And I loved, yeah. I loved the very common Hitchcock motif of the innocent man accused of a crime he did not commit. And that's yeah. what this was. And so it's very Hitchcocky in that way. So I think that's as far as Rowley was concerned or Raleigh, whatever <laughs> Rowley, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> As far as he was concerned, that was the idea. He was their patsy. He was. Now, I would argue as the genius, again, air quotes, uh, FX man. A little odd that he would be involved in this so intimately going to shoot the guy in a cafe, restaurant, whatever. And he was actually, yeah, he was the gunman. Yeah, he was the gunman. Yeah, because they wanted him to do it because he would do it right. Right. And he, and he, at another point in the movie, shows how if you just point the gun and you've already set up the squibs, you're you hit a bullseye every time. Right. So, presumably, he's making these shots. He knows that everywhere he's shooting is where these squibs are. Correct. 
He would know what fake blood looks like. He would know all of these variables. Let's not even get into the fact that where he shoots him in the face, that in real life, the amount of latex and protective covering would have actually distorted DeFranco's face to the point where he wouldn't oh, yeah. look like Jerry Orbach. But we'll give him that. I'll, I'll pass on that. I won't be that nitpicky. Oh, I'll give you one more. Well, hold on. Wait, wait. So okay. wouldn't he have realized it was fake? Like, wouldn't he? Yes. Now, I yeah, think a okay. bad, can I be honest with you? I think a more interesting angle is if they had put a real bullet in the gun. And I understand that means that Franco dies and it changes the whole dynamic. Unless they, and especially when you consider the ending of the movie, they had him create a fake DeFranco face that they were going to use as far as you know, like a swap. Like they were going to have one of the Justice Department guys fill in oh. for him. See what I'm saying? And then he really yeah, kills him. Yeah. And- so something like that. And before you, those of you who haven't seen the movie, are like, oh, why would you do that? Like this really good look. Yeah, because in the end of this movie, it suddenly turns into Mission Impossible, the Tom Cruise one. And he has DeFranco's face and it's like exactly, it's Jerry Orbach. Oh. It is Jerry Orbach, and then they kind of dub his voice for a second, and they have Jerry Orbach reach for his neck. Yep, and, and then d- cut d- away, like in Mission Impossible. Cut back. Yeah, he's pulling a mask yeah. off. Yeah, which at least in Mission Impossible, was, they had the a bit of a science fictiony conceit there that they had the technology to do that. Um. Yeah. Let me toss in a little bit there. All right. Two things. One, I I, I assume you fired a gun. Actually, you know what? I other than a BB gun, I never have. Some of us, really? I never have. Some of us aren't, I don't know, prone to violence, Jason. Um, okay, so uh, little known fact, mm-hmm. I have shot thousands of rounds of many kinds of guns, um, including... Little, little known fact, <laughs> Jason is dangerous and avoid him. I didn't say who <laughs> I shot them at. <laughs> That's true. That's no, uh, um, I, I also kid, shot I black powder guns and stuff. Hmm, and um, I would like to. I think it'd be fun, but I just never had the opportunity. It's sort of like flying in me. Yeah. Up, eh? So I can legitimately say there is a different feel when mm-hmm. you shoot a gun that actually has a projectile versus blanks versus a gun that only has powder in it. Yes. So I was thinking, okay, even if he didn't know whether or not the guy had messed with his gun and put a real bullet in it when he knew he mm-hmm. had blanks or thought he had blanks in it, he would feel it when he shot real bullets. Yes. Or Especially since this is a guy who is a seasoned professional and has done this God only knows how many times before. Yes, Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's better than Wickman, whoever that guy was, because they didn't really explain that. No, they really didn't. (laughs) But, so, you know, I I think he would have known. I think that was a bit of a stretch. Okay. You know, the other thing was... Yes. No, sorry. (laughs) The other thing was, I know a lot of... I know a lot of... We've talked a lot about effects. We met some of the cool effects guys. We we, we talked to some really, really cool special effects... Uh artists uh a lot of this was like the the, the film sequence in the beginning it, it was not realistic like they, they compressed time frames they made things seem like you could do it in a second with little planning yeah when we know a lot of this stuff there's no way and i will hear and i will be judicious and say and be fair and say you and i and people like us and in other words people who listen to this podcast we know far too much about how movies are made yeah so it's harder to suspend your disbelief while watching that to think okay dude latex you you're not just gonna slap it on to get that quality you're just gonna be slapping it on and ripping yeah, it off and like he literally just slaps it on it's like okay help like it's me just pull a, it off. Like it's just a mask that oh yeah i just you know had this laying around the house like my old tor johnson mask that i bought at the <laughs> halloween <laughs> outlet no yeah 
No. So no, it's, it's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Now, uh, here's full disclosure. I have never seen this movie. I'm pretty confident. Really? You've never seen never it Saw it. Nope. And it was, and I was thinking as I was watching, I was like, I know I had to have seen this damn movie. I was, I know it. I know of it very well. And I, I'm pretty sure I've seen the sequel maybe even a couple times back when they would play it on HBO. Cause I remember the creepy clown animatronic. Oh that he yes. Had. That he made. That was yeah. like a, and uh, he could control it almost yeah, like avatar. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I remembered that. And, but watching it again, no, I, I mean, there were things that were familiar, but I think it was more just because I was familiar with the actors and uh, right, that, right. that kind of thing. Uh, here's the thing. I wanted to love this movie. And maybe that was part of the problem. I went into it wanting, cause I love practical effects. You know that if I had yeah. a, a modicum of uh, creative talent, when it came to that kind of thing, I would have loved to have been a practical effects guy. And I just love what they do or gal yeah. or gal. Oh, yeah. I know most of them are guys, but or gal. There's a, there's a few and I, I, it's, I feel very conflicted because I, I will see what I loved about. It. I love the Hitchcockian stuff. I loved the, the movie references and the effects references. I love a lot of that kind of stuff in it. Really the, to me, the only true saving grace of the movie though was Brian Dennehy because I love Brian Dennehy and I think he is great in yeah. a, he, he plays he typically plays similar he's always it was not that he plays it he's always cast as I, I don't know that anybody throughout the 80s played a better angry white middle-aged <laughs> man you know what i mean like if you yeah. had to have somebody that embodied that and yet and yet somehow still remained likable in a kind of creepy way it was brian dennehy because think about his sheriff in first blood right yeah i mean he's an a-hole huge yeah. but yet you kind of i don't know you kind of like him and, and in some way you and it's like he's got this charm you know this quality yeah. about him and so i think i think he's a fantastic actor and i think he always brings his a game to whatever he does personally and, and this is the thing that i couldn't get over and i don't know if it was the editing the dialogue i don't know what it was but i found certain scenes with brian brown and 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 certain his uh assistant and just not that the acting was horrid but that it was jarringly not natural <laughs> you know what i mean like it just yes did you, yeah. can't, did you can't like that like the scene and i didn't play it for the intro originally i was going to play it. i was like ah, no, i'd rather play you know, brian dennehy and somebody talking about getting their ass ass. Yeah. yeah but i had the scene in the phone booth right after he's thinks he's killed defranco for real and he calls he's supposed to be upset and he calls up the colonel guy and, and the colonel guy answers the phone he's like hello it's smuckers <laughs> Because they're the name like Smuckers. And and they have their conversation. And and of course, it, it, he's very... And I understand he's supposed to be yelling because he's in, a, he's in a phone booth during a rainstorm, which of course, you have to have night rainstorm. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what it reminded me of? It was as if they shot it and they told him, okay, here's the deal. I want you to yell <laughs> as loud as you can because the sound effects we're going to use are going to be a loud rainstorm. So <laughs> just yell like you're in a damn hurricane, and like so, he did, he did his take, and they're like, you know, no louder, loud. just and he, if you could really just oh, almost, you know what it is? It's far too subtle. If you could over emote <laughs> your panic, 
wait, I want to hear you in that building over there. Yeah, Come on. Pretty, yeah. So it was things like that. Like it was, I don't know if it was a directing thing or if it was yeah. a, an editing thing or a combination of all the above, but moments like that. And then the other problem was the lapses in logic a la the mirror. Okay. I, it was a cool yeah. idea that you're going to trick them, but then how do you guarantee the other guy is going to be on the other side at precisely the time the other guy shoots? Or how, like, for instance, they, when you think Rolly's dead because they take his pulse and there's, he's dead, right? Well, I, my initial gut right was like, what? How, how the hell is he faking being dead with a, now they follow it up with, he removes latex from his neck, but I'm thinking, why were we and kept in the dark on that? Like why? Yeah, I know it was, and that's a smart move, but why were we kept in the dark on that? that it pulled me out of the movie because I'm sitting there thinking, how the hell is he going to slow his pulse down enough? Yeah. You know, now you could say, well, why didn't you just put two and two together? Did he do that? Well, well, that's not my job. Too, it's a, their job as the storytellers to, for me to not to yep. have to think about it. I should have seen that, him do that. No, and for that scene too, when they, it, that's the finale. Everybody, you know, has been shot or yeah. shocked or dead or whatever. And they don't even really pan the camera to Roly at all. And they, they yeah, almost say he's just laying on the ground. Yeah. And, and they kind of say the cop kind of says, yeah, this one's dead. And he goes, oh, they're all dead. Yeah, this. I'm like, they should have at least like put a camera above him, down onto him to give him a little more time to like, wait, he's dead to give you something to pause on. To play. Yeah. But they didn't. And it was kind of an it, afterthought. I agree with that. Stuff. And I also think the not showing the latex is the equivalent in storytelling. Uh, I oh, was it. um Oh shoot! I'm trying to remember if it was uh, Nabokov. It was. It was one of those guys who wrote really the huge Russian novels, the kind you like. And <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it was somebody of that ilk who made the comment about uh, the gun. If you want oh, to if have you a, show a gun you, in the corner, yes, you need to. You make sure you use it. And likewise, if you're going to use a gun in the final act in the final scenes, you better have set it up some point early they, on because you don't okay, otherwise. They did. Huh? They did. They did what? They set it up, but it was very subtle. With the latex? In the, yes. In the very beginning of the movie, uh -huh. when he's just after the the sequence in the uh -huh. restaurant happens, uh -huh. Uh -huh. he's back there with his assistant, and someone walks by, a, a PA or you know grip or whatever, with a cigarette, and he goes, hey, hold on. Oh, he that's right. See, that, that, that right there. The very fact that you had to explain it took me like, oh, that's right. And he said, and she's like, oh, are you using that for the suicide scene? And he's like, yeah. And she's oh, I loved it. And I thought, well, see, that was but that's, But see, but here's the problem. That use of it is not somebody putting their fingers up to your neck to check your pulse. No, it was, they, they could have so done why, it. So how am I going to, how am I an hour and a half later going to draw that connection? Yeah. Because, I, I mean, too much has happened. Because, like you said, they overcomplicated the plot. I, honest to God, other than understanding the DeFranco angle, I didn't. I still don't know why the hell the Justice Department, these guys were involved. I don't. I mean, other than money, but they never even, other than the very, very, very last moment, you don't even know that the money is in it. Like, we were kept in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you think about the great Hitchcock stuff, we were only in the dark as much as the hero was. But we weren't more in the dark than him. And I felt like with this movie, you were, you were in the dark more than the hero. You were in the dark about everything that is happening with everybody, including what he was doing and what his motivations were. I mean, I think it would have been so much cooler to have, it just felt like it jumped around. Like on one hand, we're seeing him set stuff up, but then on the next hand, we don't know that he did the latex thing. And, you know, like if we had seen him wrap that latex around his arm, just, just for a second, and maybe yeah. he, you even saw yeah. the burn stain on it so that we remember, like, oh, that's right. You know, whatever. 
But that was that was the kind of stuff that. So because of that kind of, it, I was disappointed, but it wasn't like I hated it. I just I wanted to like it way more. Yeah. And, and so there's a part of me like the C and D starts to build up. You're like, well, maybe I did, and I just need to give it time to to <laughs> you know. Okay. Percolate. So there is something about it that. Yeah, I agree with you on all those fronts. I don't think any of that's defensible. Yeah. I mean, it's I was it a horrible was movie. And if you it. like that kind of stuff, you love Dennehy. If you you love like yep. effects, eighty stuff, then yeah, definitely watch it. It's not, it wasn't like, god awful. No. no, and but I will say one thing yanked me out of it more than all of it. The very end. Yes, uh, they're in the mansion, and Rolly is uh, doing all of his tricks to get all the bad guys taken care of, and he's he's getting his revenge and all this. Um, at the very end, he's got the gun on Mason, who's the colonel of the Justice Department, whatever, and he says, here's the key. This key has $15 million in it, but only DeFranco and I can open it because they know us. And he puts the key on his gun, and then he goes through all that sequence. Then they do the, the, the neck latex, like you said. He fakes his death, and at the very end, he's escaping. I, I, know, where you're, I know where you're going with this. He's escaping from the hospital. He tears the latex off his neck and his his wrists. He climbs out the window, falls out. Brian Dennehy is there with a gun to his head. Waiting said, for him. Right. We've got to talk. And the next sequence is basically them stealing the money and running off like together in Geneva. And now keep in mind, I was having computer problems last night, so I had to watch this on my iPad, lying in bed. And, yeah. and so I was like, you know, I, I was getting a little sleepy. It's, uh, you know, I didn't fall asleep or anything, but did I miss a scene prior to that where they ever interacted directly? No, never once. You did would have he thought based the on guy. the end of that movie that they had been now that would have been a, I see this is the problem. I think with better, with the stronger writing and more unification, like the very fact, and actually Denny shows up at like 42 minutes and change, I think is what it is, but still yeah. it's basically 45 minutes into the movie. Why wasn't Dennehy? Maybe in the second scene, like we see that opening sequence where we get to establish Brian Brown's yeah. character and his effects. And next, so we have these two parallel storylines going on. They never felt connected. That was the, thing, the other thing. I felt like I was watching two separate movies that we oh, yeah, Brian yeah. Dennehy's story. And then we'd go to Brian Brown's story and blah, 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 blah. And, and they never intertwine until the very, very end. And then you're thinking, well, why are you guys so buddy, buddy? Like there's no, there's been no like, relationship just, here. I mean, yeah, at the end when they're running off together, it's like they've been yeah, through like this, all like this, this was like this was, it was like the four, like forty eight hours or you know uh, <laughs> romancing the stone, you know, right, right. with hey, Brian with Brian Den- with Brian up. Denny hey. it was Brian Denny as the uh, Joan Wilder character. <laughs> <laughs> it was because he was like sitting in the truck waiting for him, and <laughs> when the going gets tough, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, you know what I will say, though? My final thought on this? What? I think this would be one of those movies that is rife for a remake. Dude, that's awesome. I was going to say, you'll almost never hear these words come out of my mouth. But (laughs) I think, because you know the one thing that occurred to me? With the, the state of effects today and the fact that studios are so heavy on the cgi and we'll go into more of this on off script but the new movie harbinger down with lance hendrickson name drop that (laughs) that's all going to be practical creature effects blah 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 they did a kickstarter campaign wouldn't it be cool if you redid it and had the raleigh character be this effects guy who is not getting as much work who is struggling a bit thus has a motivation Needs the money. Needs the money, and they can't do it with computers, so they want him to come in, and uh, I, there's a uh, YouTube show 
hosted by Scott, whatever whatever the guy's name is from Anthrax, who's got the really crazy ass long goatee. You know what I'm talking about bald yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he hosted. It's called uh, uh, Blood Guts and Gore, and it's a Fangoria like eight minute long YouTube show. And he goes and interviews effects guys, practical effects guys, and yeah. they do all this awesome stuff. And he, I can't remember which one it was, but it was a, a, a woman makeup effects artist who he was talking to and some joke got made because they were trying to make him look almost this Jerry Garcia. And he asked something about ever working for the CIA. And she just, she said, uh-huh. <laughs> he goes, are you serious? She goes, just go stone face. She, she, she goes, uh, she goes, yeah, a few times. Can you say, she goes, I can't say anything about it. <laughs> so yeah. I have no doubt that kind of shit happens. So yeah. my point is, I think that would be, I think that would just be a much more interesting yeah. way. And then you, and if you could intertwine the two, and quite frankly, I love the idea of Raleigh and Leo merging together and earlier. joining, for, or yeah, exactly, earlier yeah. and joining forces earlier so that yeah. the end yeah. feels very satisfying. Right. They do something yes. together, they win Absolutely. together, and so they reap the benefits together. Absolutely. So on that note, would you like to do our picks? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Hi, I'm Mark Singer, and you're listening to the Forgotten Flicks podcast. What? <laughs> That's right, folks. That was the Beastmaster. So, Jason, <laughs> what is your movie pick? All right. So you uh, lambasted me last week for coming up with Superman three because of the, also, the music also connection. Also known as the only, the only movie in the series better than Superman four. Yeah. Oh, so sorry, I wait, made hold on, sure wait, wait. Oh, no, the, the movie I picked. The only movie. Uh, this, the, oh, no, I didn't say that right. Because one and two are way better. <laughs> the only uh, movie only in the series that makes Superman three look good is Superman four. That's what I wanted to say. Thanks. That's what you're trying to say, dumbass. Is so I made sure we haven't covered this film. It's first blood, and isn't it? You picked first blood, didn't you? I did. And uh it's pretty so sure predictable. you've never picked it either. I hope in I a, have. I'm gonna laugh my butt books. off. Right, ready? Uh-huh. So I went with Jerry Orbach. Of uh, course which, you did. Of course I did. Dirty dancing. And he was Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. And that blows my mind. That blows my mind that he was that voice. It just, he, it, I cannot put a face on that voice. I cannot put that face with that voice. Okay. It just doesn't work. It, wasn't that one of the candles? Lumiere was the main, yeah, he was the candelabra in Beauty and the Beast. Dude, it was a candelabra. I know, but he's supposed to be French and he does this cool voice. And eh. I actually but, think I've seen Jerry Orbach do that in person, like live on some show. When, yeah, it actually no, isn't that big a stretch. It no, still kind of sounds and like him. Just, because most of the characters that I don't know him that for busti- are Don't you love very- that I'm busting your chops already? You haven't even said what the movie is? You kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always seen him, you know, more like the DeFranco character in FX. Yes, He's yes. The, you know, the New York cop. See, I always picture him as like the dad in Dirty Dancing. Yeah. 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 So um, so I chose him, and I was looking through his, his repertoire, because he's done quite a bit. And I found when I thought, oh, sweet, leathery Jesus, I cannot pass this movie up. So I picked a gnome named Gnorm. Did you just really say gnome? Um, you need to go to YouTube and watch the trailer because it is a gnome named Gnorm. You better be full of crap. Starring Anthony Michael Hall, Jerry Orbach, and it's basically this gnome character named Gnorm. Why haven't we covered this? 
I have no... Dude, it falls into our bracket, 1990. Keep it talking, is... I'm checking Netflix. Keep talking. <laughs> so, he basically plays this, this because I looked it up before, and I saw it, so I did my research behind. But he basically comes into the real world, comes into the human world. We have and got Anthony to Michael do this Hall, movie. Huh? We, I mean, I'm being serious. We have got to do this movie. I agree. So, he, in this movie, looks like, if you watch the trailer, he looks like he's like 15, uh, He's supposed to be this L.A. cop who helps Ganorm. Like, literally, he says it's pronounced Ganorm and Gnome. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so, I'm um, not going to make fun of you. This is awesome. So uh, anyway, so they have to track down the magic. stuff. I've not seen this movie, but I've read about it now and watched the trailers and everything. And I have got to see this movie and uh it stars anthony michael hall and jerry orbach who uh, just alone from that that's all i need to know um and and i will i will watch it but uh apparently it's, it looks it, wait, wait, you forgot you left one part out though i i prefer the title that you said it's actually also no upworld <laughs> it says upworld also known as a gnome named gnorm yeah <laughs> and um i'm not going to um jinx it <clears throat> I'm not going to jinx it. But it might exist somewhere. But it might exist somewhere, and I might be sending you the link right now. Uh Uh-huh. And we Uh may... Dude, let's just do it. You want this to be our next movie? (laughs) I am serious as a heart attack. I'm being impulsive. I really want to... I really... Because I think this has so much potential. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, fine, fine. We'll make this the next. But I want to point out a couple other things. Okay. This is one of those... You talk about a forgotten flicks, Mm -hmm. right? This is it. Because not only does it star Anthony Michael Hall and uh, Jerry Orbach, it's directed by freaking Stan Winston. This was it. Oh, that's right. I actually remember when he did this. So I put a lot of effing thought into this after last week because not only <laughs> did he do this, he did Pumpkinhead, which had fantastic practical and effects. Wrong turn. Yes, he did. He is most well known for his effects and makeup and creature effects. Nice connection. Like interview uh, with the vampire. This makes this makes this makes up for last week. Okay, shut up. I'm not done. He also did Island of Doctor Moreau, which movie sucked, but the effects were cool. Galaxy Quest. Okay, at some point, did, are you going to bring up things like Terminator, <laughs> Predator, and then of course, <laughs> yeah, a couple G2, little films, Iron and Man, aliens. aliens. Um. Some of the greatest movies that we love and hold dear. He is a fantastic uh, makeup and special effects artist, but he's only directed a handful. This was one of actually he's only directed two two feature length films, Pumpkinhead and and this. So, bam, check and mate, your turn. Well, <laughs> my pick was. An easy one. Actually, I was going to totally be lazy and go the first blood route. <laughs> oh, you did, did, Brian Denny. I, All right. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I chose, and I chose it for a reason. The Legend of Billy Jean. Okay. From 1985. Have you ever seen The Legend of Billy Jean? I have. I've seen it many times. <laughs> hey, I have one thing to tell you, buddy. Fair is fair. and there's nothing like lisa simpson having her first period in the backseat of a station wagon (laughs) for you sorry spoiler alert and i do mean spoil her (laughs) martha uh gemmon who in our movie was 
uh, Raleigh's sidekick. I don't remember her name offhand. Yeah, where did I see her from? Uh, Legend of Billie Jean. <laughs> is, is that it? That's why I picked it. Yes, uh, she played Ophelia along with Putter, who was played by Yardley Smith, also known as Lisa Simpson, or the voice yep. of. Yep. And they were the two younger ladies that hang out with Billie Jean and go on the run with her. So if you've never seen The Legend of Billie Jean, it came out in 1985. It was PG-13. It starred Helen Slater and Christian Slater. No relation. No, I'm just kidding. No. They're brother and sister, right? Hell, if I know. Now, actually, you know what? I think it's what's... It, it, I would dig deeper on that one. I actually think it's weird. I don't know that they are. I want to say they are, but then part of me thinks maybe they're not. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. She, she was. was super, she was. Saying, doesn't matter. She was Supergirl, and he was yeah. Happy Harry Hard on in Pulp of the Volume. So, <laughs> yes. A, this is the IMDb synopses. A Texas teenager cuts her hair short and becomes an outlaw martyr with her brother and friends. I love that they start the synopsis. Their elevator pitch for this would be: Now wait for it. I got a picture for you. A teenager. Wait for it. Cuts her hair short. Uh Huh? Wait, no, don't walk away. Don't walk away. I'm not done. Then she becomes an outlaw. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, correlation proves causation. I'm just saying she cut her hair short. Then she becomes an outlaw. But not just any outlaw. An outlaw martyr. You know. No, not mutter. Mara. Yeah, like uh, Joan of the Ark, or uh, I don't know. Um, you really got nothing. I you? really got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> with her brother, so she ain't by herself here, you know? She's going to take down her brother <laughs> and her friends. Even though she's got short hair. What do you think? <laughs> so, yes, it is a classic. Done, and I will throw millions at it. Yeah, so. Of course, of course. Yes, it is a, a, a fun frolicking teenage rebellion kind of movie uh long story short christian slater is her brother who's apparently a bit of a weenie and can't defend himself so he sends his sister over to deal with the fact that someone i believe stole his motor scooter and when she goes there she's sexually i guess assaulted kind of by the by the yes by the father uh, of this kid that messed with her brother and she ends up shooting him, not killing him. So it's, it's in the trailer uh, and, but not killing him, but then she has to go on the run because she's now an outlaw and she becomes this iconic figure for the youth of, I'd say America, but it pretty much, as I recall, is mostly like uh, just the Southeastern part of Texas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just really, a yeah, maybe, maybe actually Galveston. the Northeastern and like Texarkana, uh, <laughs> that yes. area. So the outskirts of, of Galveston, where, 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 where a, a teenage girl cutting her hair short would in fact immediately make her an outlaw martyr. Yeah, so, and wearing some long dangly earrings. Yes. But we do learn from this film that fair is fair. Fair is fair with and a fist, with a fist you pumped in the air. And it's also got the kid from Christine. All right. In it. So and um, back to school, <laughs> Keith Gordon. And there is that. So that's my pick. Martha Gaiman kind of looks like Helen Slater in this a little bit. Yeah, there was a similarity, yeah. So, yeah. Except yeah. unlike unlike Billie Jean, she does not cut her hair short until I believe... Oh, oh I don't want to give that away. <laughs> That'd be a pretty big spoiler to know that more than one person <laughs> cuts their hair in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> yes, that's fun. Anyway, so Jay, on that note, uh, would you like to maybe, um, you know, hit him with some knowledge? 
I don't have any knowledge, so no. no. Okay. <laughs> Check us out. Uh, uh, go to the website for show notes. We've got all kinds of cool information, including what we mentioned with Kevin Spencer and his artwork, as well as some other folks that have contributed to the show. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you have not already. We'd love to hear what you think, only if it's five stars or more. Wait, you can only give five stars. Okay, yes, five stars enough. or more. That's good. Um, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh you know how to find us there. Sure. Indeed. Indeed. Or just go to the website. Just click on one of the damn buttons. And of course, thank exactly. you to JV for the spoiler alert. As always, he makes me smile. So Jason, do you have any <laughs> final words of wisdom other than fair is fair? Yes. For God's sake, what the hell ever you do, don't use the big smoke pots. <laughs> <laughs>